Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. starting this brand new series called It's Complicated. And we know that that every relationship is complicated. It's not just about love, marriage, dating, but even friendships are complicated. We know family relationships are complicated. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at relationships and looking at how we can show up in that space in healthy ways that will create strength for those relationships as well. This series and even today's message, it's really, uh, I, I don't want anybody to hear the topic and tune out. This it's for students or, or uh, graduate students that are uh, dating or, or hope to date. It's for single people that are dating or hope to date. It's for married people that would like to grow a stronger marriage and, and maybe navigate some challenges or some tensions that they've felt in their marriage. Uh, this, this series is for people that uh, are single and, and kind of like it that way, and they're not interested in trying to find a relationship because we're going to be talking about what that looks like and, and the value that there is in that. It's not a less than option. It's a, it's a great thing to be able to pursue that. This, this series is for people that were married and maybe are at a place where you're stepping back into the dating pool and trying to navigate what that looks like in 2020. Uh, this series is really for all of us. Uh, and I don't want to spoil too much, but the reason it's for all of us, regardless of where you're at, is because uh, any time that we start to rely on another person to fulfill a part of our needs and who we are, it causes strain whether that's marriage, dating, friendships, whatever it might be. Um, Anytime we try and start a series like this, I I try and find uh, wisdom, philosophers, you know, people that know what they're talking about to really kind of shape our hearts, to shape our minds, and really kind of work into us um, just really solid uh, thoughts. And so I decided that the best place to go would be to uh, go to Twitter and find out what people on Twitter, uh, the internet, have to say, because we know they have opinions on everything. So we'll see how this works. Uh, Hi, welcome to dating. These are your two options, stay together forever or break up. No pressure. Uh, Let's see, Uh, we got some more here. Being married means that every day is an episode of Amazing Race Couples Edition, only it's just me trying to find stuff my husband misplaced while he is behind me yelling, you threw it away, didn't you? Anybody? That's like straight out of my house. Uh, The next one here, if you really want to find out how annoying someone is, marry them. (sighs) Don't laugh too hard. I know some of you are sitting beside your spouses. Uh, Let's see. Sometimes marriage is about love and compromise. Other times it's about letting the garbage get so full and seeing who will cave first, Uh, which is a smelly, fun game. Uh, let's see what else we got on here. Relationships are mostly you apologizing for saying something hilarious. Uh, if you're a sarcastic couple, you know what that means. Uh, relationships are an expensive way to watch someone slowly like you less and less. This is a little cynical. Are we okay? Are we going to make it past that one? Let's look at the last one here. Uh, relationships aren't complicated. Calculus is complicated. Relationships are like if you tried to date calculus. Uh, 
But we, we kind of get a sense, we know that this is true, whether you're married, single, uh, whether you uh, are dating, whether you just have friendships or family, we understand that it is complicated. There are no two relationships in your life that you can approach the same way, uh, especially, I mean, I've learned this having kids now, I understand, like, I have to interact with them, different, they have different personalities. Uh, this shows up in so many areas of our life, it is complicated, and so what can we do to start navigating this complex reality that we all have in our lives uh, and start to find some traction and some success in the ways that we truly long to find that. There's a myth uh, that we kind of have in the underbelly of our culture and the underbelly of our lives, and, and many of us don't even really recognize that it's there. Uh, and most of us, maybe even all of us, don't even know where it, come, where it comes from, but it's this myth of the right person. It says, when I find the right person, everything will be all right. Like, yeah, the, the last 30 relationships have been broken, but I'm gonna find my person. I'm going to find them one time and everything is going to work. You guys still out there okay? Those lights shifted quickly. Uh, uh, when I find that person in my life, when I, when I find the right person, uh, all of my weaknesses won't matter as much. They'll offset those weaknesses. Uh, this myth, we start to, to believe, and, and you may not say this out loud, but subconsciously we think, man, if I found the right person, I'd be happy and complete. My insecurities would go away. My problems would fade. Uh, it's so embedded in our culture that we don't always even recognize that it's there. And so uh, there, there's this reality of where it comes from, and, and I actually learned this a couple weeks ago. Maybe some of you guys are smarter than I am. Uh, I actually went to um, history instead of Twitter this time. But this idea of that right person for us, our other half, it comes from Greek mythology. And you can read Plato wrote about this a little bit, but the, the Greek mythology believed that uh, in the beginning that, uh, that humans were created as like these androgynous creatures that had four arms and four legs, I know, very attractive sounding. Uh, two faces, uh, two of other things we won't get into because there's still children in the room. Uh, and, and the Greek gods, they, they were afraid because the humans had too much power. They were afraid that maybe they would be able to do too much. And so Zeus, in all of his wisdom, split them into man and woman. And, and, and his, his thinking was, and the belief was, they will spend the rest of their life trying to find their other half and they will no longer be a threat to us as gods. This is where this idea of where's my other half, where's my, my soulmate, that one person that's gonna complete and fix and fulfill everything in me, this is where that idea comes from. And most of you guys are like, yeah, I wouldn't believe that. I mean, that seems a little bit crazy, but we still kind of live and act in this way. We rely on relationships to complete us. We rely on other people to fulfill things in us. We, we even use that word a lot of times, and it's well-intentioned, but, man, there's just something that was missing, and when I met them, they just they filled that thing, and, and they, I knew that they were the perfect person for me, and I'm not knocking love and, and all of these things, uh, you know, that, that romantic aspect of the reality, but, but the belief at its base level that another person could fulfill or make you whole or even maybe make up for some of your weaknesses. That is something, you're gonna, you're gonna expect that from someone you're dating, from your spouse, from a friend, from a family member. You expect them to play a role in your life that they were never created to be able to play. When you expect other people to fulfill your needs in that way, that's not actually love, that's something called codependency. And there's like a whole nother sermon that we could talk about on that. 
But it's this reality. Now, obviously, we have expectations of our spouse. We have expectations of our friends. And there's, there's reasonable expectations that we have. But we have this, this thing that's kind of embedded in us that causes this challenge for us because we feel like we can't be whole. We can't be fulfilled until we find that person. And it's all, I, I think I like to blame all of this on this one word, this idea of chemistry. We just felt this chemistry together. It was like sparks flew and never do you get a more clear picture of people that believe in the power of chemistry than on The Bachelor. When there is one man and 30 women, and every one of those 30 women feel like they have chemistry. Like, we just have this connection. Nobody, I know nobody else's connection is as strong as our connection. And when we watch The Bachelor, we are all as smart and wise uh, as, you know, we are more wise when we watch The Bachelor than in our own relationships. Because we watch it and we're like, did you think this through? Like, do you really believe this is going to work out for you? You know, we have this perspective when we watch the show of like, you're crazy if you think that this is the right thing, if this is the way it's going to work, that there's just one connection. That, But in our own lives, we still kind of allow this to slip in and out of our relationships. The way we show up is chemistry. Of course, you're going to have chemistry. Uh, when you're putting on Usher in your room, you know, you're listening to Usher. Like, I remember, like, 15 crying in my room. Like, you got it, you got it bad when you're on the phone. Hang up. Anybody else listen to Usher? <laughs> I could go, I got Brian McKnight, you know, one, you're like a dream come true. Anybody? Don't leave me hanging to make me fall. Oh, I got the light in the back? Okay. Yeah, you're going to feel in love. They get paid to make you feel in love. Uh, that is what, that's what chemistry does. And chemistry is a beautiful thing, and it's great, and I'm grateful for it. But if you rely just on chemistry, at some point it will start to fade. It will start to crack. There will be days when their breath is so wretched. No. Uh, there's this reality that chemistry alone is not going to be able to create healthy relationships. And again, even chemistry with friends. Uh, I know a lot of people that they go through friendships one after another, and it's like, oh, we're best friends. We hang out every single day. We go on trips together. And then all of a sudden, things start to crack a little bit, and you're like, well, they're terrible. I'm great. i got to find better friends. And then it's like 10 friends later, 20 friends later. I don't know why all these people are messed up. I don't know why all these friends are terrible friends. I'm offering greatness, and nobody wants to show up for it. Chemistry will not last. It cannot last. When things don't seem to be working with the one that we have found, we assume that they must be the wrong one. And then we start searching for another one, a new one, someone else that maybe they will be able to do what no one else has done, fulfill me, make me feel whole again. But that's what the myth of the one causes in our lives, this, this cycle over and over again, because the idea that if you find the right person, Everything will be all right. There's just no truth in that. One broken person plus another broken person does not equal a healthy person. It equals two broken people. It's not like even at odd numbers. Uh, there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, that that's why they don't believe in marriage, and that's why they're scared to get married, or maybe they don't even never want to get married because there's just so much brokenness in marriage. It's like, well, what I've, I've learned over the years, I've been married, I'm coming up on 12 years, so I've not been married the longest in this room, but not the shortest, and I talk to a lot of married couples and, and have a lot of conversations, and there's not any marriage problems, there's just people problems, people with problems that get married. 
And they bring those problems into, into the marriage, into the, the insecurities and the fears and the pasts. And, and it's not to diminish the impact that that ha- has on marriage, but it's not marriage that's a problem. It's, it's what's happened in our lives and what's happening in our hearts that causes these challenges. So the, there's uh, only one path to the kind of change that's going to help correct the things that are wrong about our life and our relationships. And, and this path is to commit to lo- walking in step with Jesus and understanding how does Jesus invite us to live. Because a lot of times we put this pressure on other people to, to fulfill us or to make us whole or to, to be the balance to our own weaknesses. And, and, and I, get, I get the idea there, but in Ephesians 3, I think it's verse 18 and 19, it talks about how Jesus is the only one that can actually fulfill us and make us feel whole. Uh, Anytime we expect other people or rely on other people to do that, we are putting a huge burden on them and it will make them miserable and ultimately it will make you miserable. Uh, So as we start off in this place of understanding, okay, what does it look like? Uh, Instead of the ultimate goal being finding the right person, what does it look like to become the right person? I mean, if if I could find the right person that balances all of my annoying habits, that would be awesome. If I could find the right person that is okay with uh, my past, that would be awesome. If I could find the right person that can make me feel like I matter more than anybody else, that would be awesome. And instead of the, the goal for us shouldn't be to try and find the right person, the, the goal, the focus for us should be, are we becoming the right person? Because we're no longer then relying on someone else to fulfill us or to make us complete. I think this, this twisted view of relationships is why, for a long time, being single was really looked down on, because people inherently believe, well, well, you can't be a whole person if you're single. But this reality, this teaching says that, no, you, you can be a whole person because that requires a, a, a trust and a relationship with Jesus. There's a wholeness that you can have on your own. And absolutely, if you want to be in a relationship and get married, then, then that's great, but there's this validation because you're not waiting for another person to complete you. You're understanding that that, that that comes from God. Scripture has very little to say about finding the right person. There's a few verses. Uh, it's an idea overall that people don't really seem, that the authors didn't seem interested in writing about. But it has a lot to say about how to become the right kind of person. It has very little to say about like, okay, here's what you do. You know that new club? You go there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> It has a lot of information about what does it look like to become the right kind of person, to become whole, to grow in a way that you, you recognize that you have a sense of wholeness and purpose and meaning. And when you have that in and of yourself, then when you start to be in relationships with other people, it is amazing because you're not relying on them as, as a crutch or as, as someone to help you make it through, but you get to show up with your whole self in this relationship. And they get to show up with their whole selves. And so what does it look like for us to become the right person? It, it has a lot to say, but Jesus kind of boils it all down in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said this, he's talking to the disciples. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment, uh, not another commandment, He's not saying, like, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, and this is number 11. So he's saying, here's a new one. And essentially, if you can pursue this one, then you've got the rest of them covered. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Okay, that seems easy enough. Uh, I love a lot of things. Um, I love cheesecake. Uh, I love Ryan McKnight. I mean, obviously. Uh, I love... uh, 
we, we start to think, well, well, then I can define what love is. I, I get to say, like, okay, well, I'll love each other. I'll love, I'll love other people. Great, I can, I can figure that out. Um, but then he, he narrows it down even more. He goes on and he says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. It's like, oh, I don't get to decide what love looks like. That's harder. Uh, yeah, that's not going to work for me. There's this invitation for Jesus, and he says, as I have loved you, the way that I have shown up in your lives, the way I have cared, the way I have accepted, the way I have eaten with, the way I have uh, walked with, the way that I have validated and valued you and not made people feel like outsiders, but welcomed people in and been patient and forgiving, and that's how you're supposed to love other people. This is, this is the core idea, and, it, and it's a, a big undertaking. Uh, we'll break it down in a minute, but the core idea for us to become the right kind of person is to run as fast as we can toward this idea of loving each other the way that God loved us. And that's why this message, this series, it's not just for married people, because it's about so much more than marriage. It's not just for people that are dating because it's about so much more than that. It's not just for people that are single. It's about so much more than that. It's about the way that we exist as humans, understanding what it means to show up the way that God intended for us to. And the reality is, it's the way that we want to be. We want to be like Jesus. Even those of you that are like, I'm not sure I totally believe in all of this. I'm not 100% sure I'd sign off on all of these beliefs or you would still probably more than likely be like, but yeah, if, if I was like this, you know, what it says Jesus was like, I'd, I'd be up for that. Kind, loving, get to wear sandals and robes a lot. Uh, sorry, I can't go too long. Uh, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. And so how does Jesus love? Well, Paul, in one of the most famous chapters, the chapter of love, he, he breaks down what love is. And I want to spend the last few minutes that we have I want to go through this because we have heard this at most weddings we've been to. Some of you guys may have this painted on like barn wood in your house, uh, but it becomes numb to us. And so what if we slow down and actually start to consider, is this who I am? Is this who I am becoming? Like maybe I'm, I'm not all of these things perfectly, but is my life, is it oriented in that direction? Or is it oriented in the direction of, please fix me? Please, somebody else, fulfill me. Please, someone else, accept me the way I am so I don't have to do any hard work. Okay. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, he says, Love is patient. It's not pushy or demanding. It creates space for the other person in the relationship, if it's marriage, dating, singleness, family, whatever. It creates space for them to flourish. You don't get frustrated when they don't move as quickly as you do, guys who are trying to leave the house for dinner and waiting for people to get ready. It doesn't get frustrated when people that you're in a dating relationship aren't ready to move as quickly in that relationship. They want to move slow. It doesn't, it doesn't push them. Love is patient. Patience is slowing the pace of your life to accommodate the other person. It's not demanding that they match your pace. This, this applies to being patient in conversations, being patient in how you work through conflict. This applies to being patient in making decisions and uh, making commitments. Love is patient. He goes on, he says, love is kind. And a good definition for kindness is, is that kindness is considering how other people feel. And that might seem obvious, 
But the reality is, is that most of us don't slow down enough to really think about how other people feel in any given moment. We're very aware of how we feel, what we would like to be done or said or, or handled, and we assume everybody else should and does feel the same way. But kindness says, well, I wonder how they feel. I wonder how they feel when I show up. I wonder how they feel when I use this tone. I wonder how they feel when I don't check in and see how their day is going. I, I wonder how they feel. Uh, this last week, uh, I, I shared last Sunday that um, they're doing some construction in our apartment. And so we have to move out for the month of February, uh, like full on everything, even the refrigerator. Yeah, I know. That's like the worst, right? It's like, okay, I'll move a bed. But a refrigerator, you got to be kidding me. Uh, so we move out. We had to be out on Friday night. Uh, my wife did so much work all week long, getting stuff packed up and then also handling our, our boys. We have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old and just getting all this stuff done. And, and it was my role to come in on Thursday and start loading everything in the truck. Um, and so I got home on Thursday and I didn't mean it this way. But I had some questions about how certain things were done. And she started to like turn and look at me. I was like, no, oh, man, this isn't going to go well. Because I, I never even considered what it was like for me to show up at the, you know, the ninth hour and ask questions about the way she'd been doing things for the, the, the days before getting this stuff ready. I never even considered the way that it would make her feel. And in that moment, I realized, like, man, that was a really stupid thing to say. Because it didn't actually, the, the question wasn't really that important. And I didn't mean it to be insulting. But, love, you know, love is, is kind. It's considering how others think, how others feel, what other people are going through. It does not envy. Envy is a, a really ugly reality for a lot of us. Envy uh, struggles to let anyone else be happy or succeed when we are not. Envy says, man, I, I can't pull myself up. I can't get myself out of this, so let me pull other people down to what I'm feeling, to what I'm struggling with, to what I'm wrestling with. Envy is a really painful thing. It's unattractive, and, and love is mature enough to celebrate the progress and the success and the health and the goodness of others even when we don't feel it in our own lives. Envy is a painful thing, but, but Paul is writing, he says, man, if, if we want to love each other the way that Jesus loved us, then we have to get away from envy. It says it does not boast, it is not proud. And pride, pride says I can never be wrong. Uh, I don't think that I used to be a competitive person, but then I got married and I became a very competitive person. Uh, I grew up in a house that uh, played a lot of music and my wife grew up in a house that played a lot of sports. Uh, and so I just had to kind of learn how to like, okay, I got to figure out how to win things, I guess. And what I've started to realize, and maybe you guys can resonate, I've got, guys, I've got examples all day long of how I screw this stuff up. So let me just tell you another one. I started to realize that even when I acknowledge that I made a mistake, I still give a reason for why I made that mistake to put the blame on something else. Because I can't just allow it to be me. It's like, I'm sorry that I, you know, asked you why you packed the boxes this way. It was just a hard day at work. That's pride. I can't just accept it. Like, I, I, made, the, I made the wrong decision. Pride is, pride is never being able to be wrong, never being able to be at fault. Uh, we talked to, a, a, maybe it was a couple months ago, about this a lot. We actually said this, this reality that in any relationship, there is always going to be some sort of conflict. And when we own our part 
it begins to soften our hearts. When we own the part, and maybe for you it's like, yeah, it's just like a tiny little sliver though. But as soon as you even own that tiny little sliver of the challenge, of the, of the fight, of the tension, as soon as you own that little part, all of a sudden, you, your heart no longer focuses on everything else that your partner or your friend, your, your spouse has. And it's like, okay, I can't really point at that stuff until I start to work on mine. It's this reality that we have to be able to acknowledge that we have some fault. We have made some mistake. Love, it goes on, it says, it does not dishonor others. To dishonor someone is to create regret for someone else. This shows up, I think, most easily illustrated in dating relationships. When people are on different pages, they want different things. And, and in your relationships, as you're pursuing relationships with other people, single people, dating, uh, are you doing things that will create regret for other people? Are we, are we dishonoring them? Are we behaving disgracefully or indecently? Or are we saying, no, I, I want to treat you with honor, with respect for who you are. Love is not self-seeking. It doesn't prioritize what I want over what others want. It's not easily angered. Uh, you don't force others to walk on eggshells around you. Uh, you know, there's this reality for many people that, that their family, their friends, they know, like, don't talk to them for 20 minutes after he gets home from work. You just don't do it. You got to give them space. Otherwise, it will explode. There's people that know they can't bring up certain topics around you because your anger will just be unleashed. Are we causing people to, to walk on eggshells around us? Because love is not easily angered. And then it says this, it says that love keeps no record of wrongs. This is, this is really difficult for us because there's very few things that are more painful in our lives than when the people that we love and trust and have made ourselves vulnerable to, or the spouse, significant other, family, when we open ourselves up and they hurt us, it is the deepest kind of hurt. But to love each other the way that Jesus loved us is clearly to keep no record of wrongs because that's the way he loves us. He doesn't hold our sins, our mistakes against us in that way. And so as we start to show up in our relationships, then we start to have to figure out like, okay, this doesn't mean that I can let them abuse me or walk all over me or I have to make myself available to be hurt in an unhealthy relationship. But also, I have to truly release some of this stuff. Because I know for some of us, we start to hold on to certain things. It's like ammunition. Like, I'm not going to fight about this now, but I'm bringing this up later on. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to this. I'm going to keep track of this. And, and this is strike one. And if they get to strike three, then it's over. And we start to hold on to the, keeping a record of wrongs. But that's not what love does. Love chooses to believe the best. It focuses on the best, not the worst. Uh, and you may be thinking like, yeah, Chris, that sounds awesome. That's exactly the kind of person I'm looking for. <laughs> if you can find that kind, patient, generous, gentle, you know, person that keeps no record of wrongs, that would be awesome for me. Send them my way. That would be so fantastic. But the best way to find the kind of person that you're looking for is to become the kind of person that you're looking for. The best way to find someone that lives and interacts and cares and treats and, and, and shows up in relationships this way is to be that kind of person. Because the reality is, and this is hard and this is not to pick on any one person because this is probably true for all of us. But the reality is, is that for some of us, that kind of person is not looking for who we are. They are not looking for people that are easily angered. 
They are not looking for people that are not patient or considerate of others. They are not looking for people that keep a record of wrongs and they've got a trail of, of broken relationships behind them because they're unable to forgive and, and lean in and work on their relationship for the good. The best way to find this kind of person in our lives, whether it's for marriage or dating, whether it's just for friendship, the best way to find these kind of people is by becoming these kind of people. And so it's not about the Greek myth of finding the one that will complete you. It's about the invitation from Jesus of saying, this is who we should become regardless of what everyone else is doing. This is how we show up. This is how we live our lives. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, after Paul writes about what love is, he says this in verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And this is a passage, we, maybe it's familiar with you guys, and it makes sense. It's like, yeah, obviously, it's like when you grow up, you, you got to grow up. But for a lot of us in our relationships, we never really grew up. We still kind of hold on to that way that every, every children's story, every Disney movie ends, and they lived happily ever after. And I love those stories and the movies, and I'm still listening to Brian McKnight, and so I'm not against that stuff. But there is a, a childlike way of believing. When I find the one, it will be happily ever after. You can find happiness. You can find deep happiness in your relationships. But it's not because of one person that allows that to happen. It's because of who you are becoming, a way that God is transforming your heart and your mind as an individual, that that starts to happen. I, I told this story a couple of years ago, um, but um, we, uh, we have some really close friends from out of state. They came in, um, and uh, they brought their uh, two daughters. Um, we went to Disneyland for them, uh, or with them. And uh, so we have, uh, our, my oldest son is eight, and uh, so their older daughter is a year older than him. She's nine, and then their uh, younger daughter is a year younger than him. So she's seven. So seven, eight, and nine. And so anytime we're with them, there's always kind of this, it's interesting to see, like, which day, which trip they'll kind of like partner up and one will always be the third wheel. So it'll either be like the two younger ones uh, and then the older ones left out or it'll be the older ones and the younger ones left out. Well, at Disneyland that day, uh, Kennedy and Mason, the older ones were like lockstep. And then Elle, the younger one, um, was very obviously sad that she was left out. And she was like the, the little sister. So we're hanging out and walking around Disneyland, and we, we kind of came into this place I'd never been in before, and it's this courtyard, and in the middle of this courtyard, there's this statue, and it looks like a, a lampstand type of thing. And as we got closer, we realized it was like a little fairy house. Uh, I think it was actually supposed to be Tinkerbell's house. And so the older kids, they went and they saw it and they like looked at it and, you know, climbed on it and danced around it and whatever. And then they, they finished and they moved off to the side. And then Elle, who was just kind of like a little bit sad and mopey, was like walked up to it. And like she went up and she stepped on this little platform. And right when she stepped on this platform, these little twinkling lights started. And then this music started playing. It was like this Disney, like magical fairy tale music. And this whole thing lit up and everybody kind of turned and nobody expected it. And her face just lit up in that moment. She's like, it chose me. <laughs> and it was like so beautiful. And we laughed and we talk about the story all the time. And, and there is this reality that we are all hoping to be picked by someone that will take us exactly as we are and that they will fulfill and complete us and all of these things. But, but the reality is that when I was a child, I thought like a child. 
But it's at a point now where it's like, man, I want someone to choose me, but I also have to realize that they cannot complete me, they cannot fulfill me, they cannot define me, and I need to focus on who I am becoming as much or more than who I am looking for, who I'm trying to find in my life. We have to navigate this. And so the question I want to close with for us, are you the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? You probably want someone who is uh, incredibly generous. Are you that kind of person? You probably want someone who is patient and kind. Are you that kind of person? Or you probably want someone that is uh, gentle and that forgives. And are you that kind of person? Are you the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? And then maybe you're married. Are you still the kind of person that they were looking for five years ago when you got married? 10, 20, 30. Are you still that person? Or have you, you kind of like, oh, we got this under control. I'll kind of let things go a little bit. Are we still that person? Because Jesus is so deeply interested in who we are becoming. And out of that, we are able to love other people the way that Jesus loved us. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.